It's the Apex Vaulting Podcast, um, episode 51. Uh, super pumped. Uh, we have a great guest today. Um, before we get started, though, remember we have at the real Apex Vaulting on Instagram. We're also Apex Vaulting on Facebook, uh, Snapchat, Twitter, and you can always email us at apexvaulting at gmail.com. Uh, I'm, almo- uh, I'm almost ready to post and release um, the online coaching that we're going to be doing. Um, it, just to let you know a couple things on that, what you'll get. Uh, there's three different packages. Uh, there's the basic, there's the, the premium, and the deluxe. People who are getting either of those, you're going to get at least one video breakdown analysis. You're, I'll put your video into slow motion. Um, I'll voice over it. And then also I'll send you drills, videos of drills that you should be doing and kind of program the next two weeks uh, of your um, practices. That's the minimum. So I'm super excited to offer that to people. Um, and like I said, I'll be announcing it uh, soon on social media. Um, our guest today, awesome, from Texas, Chris Allison, um, the coach at Lone Star Pole Vaulting. Um, Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know we were talking about kind of how you changed the way you thought about pole vault uh, once you started working with Bubba Sparks. And for people who don't know him, I don't know how you don't know him. I feel like he's Facebook friends with every single pole vault on the true. planet. Uh, but go, go ahead, Chris. Sure. So, um, a, a brief history about me. I run a club called Lone Star Pole Vaulting down in New Braunfels, Texas, which is just uh, between Austin and San Antonio, Texas. And I've been in Texas uh, for 20 years now. Moved here in 1998. But I'm originally an upstate New York boy. I was uh, mm-hmm. raised in the Catskill Mountain areas. Uh, I went to a little uh, Class D school called Tri Valley Central School and okay. uh, vaulted there. I was a 12-6 vaulter that just loved it. Uh, developed a huge passion for the sport and just wanted to go on. I mm-hmm. obviously was not in any scholarship uh, contention or anything like that, so mm-hmm. I just needed to find a school that would let me continue to vault. Right, um, right. So, uh, and just looking around and, you know, trying to see what schools, like Division Three, of course, was, was my target for that ability level, mm-hmm. um, what schools had coaches. And, uh, of course, this was before the internet. We're talking about 93, 94 when I graduated. Right. So, um, uh, there used to be a, uh, a paper publication that Bob Fraley used to put out called the Pole Vault Standard. Um, okay. It was just like a newsletter that came out quarterly. And I used to receive that. And there were articles written by a guy named Dr. Peter McGinnis. Uh, you might have okay. heard of um, yeah. mm-hmm. And uh, Peter McGinnis is the uh, national biomechanist for USA Track and Field uh, in charge of the pole vault. He, right. he takes uh, these studies, these velocity studies and other biomechanical studies at U.S. Nationals at the Pole Vault Summit every year, and, uh, publishes them, gives them to the elite athletes to help them you know, prepare their training and whatnot. Anyway, um, I spoke with him. I said, hey, I just want a pole vault. You know, can I come on board? He's like, absolutely. We're D3. Right. We take anybody. So right. um, in my four years at Portland, I was a two-time conference champion. Uh, I was 14-6 vaulter, nothing great, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, did improve two feet, yeah. but uh, spent most of the time injured, not knowing how to train. Peter was a, a very, very knowledgeable uh, scientist uh, who didn't have a lot to do with the training, the conditioning yeah. aspect of things. Uh, he would make suggestions. Well, well, can, but, can, I, can I stop you there just real quick? Sure. Sorry. It's so funny. A couple things uh, about your story so far that strike me. I mean, one... I, I can't tell you, and I'm sure you run into the same situation at your club, how many kids are just like, I want to keep jumping in college. Do you think they'll let me? 
You know what I mean? Because for, right. for the kids who aren't going to get scholarships, who aren't jumping at that level, there's so many kids that want to continue enjoying the sport. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. yet that's the biggest concern. And I, I actually have conversations all the time like, no, look, like depending on what your academic needs are, where you want to go to school, we could definitely find you a school that would be willing to have you. The second part, and you know, it's it's so interesting to me. I mean, I've been very fortunate uh, with my time at Rampo College. I, I can do the training for the vaulters as well. But so, so few programs allow the pole vault coaches to do the training. And so it's like they kind of train you sometimes like a two, four person, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've I've run into that as a coach myself. I've coached uh, either consulted or been on staff with Mm -hmm. uh, uh, three or four different universities down here. Texas State University, which used Mm -hmm. to be Southwest Texas State, Trinity University at D3, and uh, Mm -hmm. Texas Lutheran University at D3. Mm -hmm. And Incarnate Word, which uh, when when, uh, I coached there was a D2, is now a D1. but. Uh, and all in every situation, it, I was in that situation where okay, you know, uh, you can handle the pole vault sessions, but we're going to handle all the strength and conditioning, all the running, all the plows, all the training, and in, in more cases than not, um, it wasn't what I would have done had I had control uh, of those things. So they were, right. you know, basically lumped in with other event groups, you know, typically jumpers, sometimes sprinters, and doing a lot of uh, non-specific work that, you know, and there's a, a fair amount of that that's good. It's applicable right. across multiple disciplines, but you know, ours is highly technical, a lot more so than the other events, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, we need more technical time. We need more event-specific training. And so, you know, I've had to fight that battle, you know, from a coach. Yeah, well, and, and, and even, you know, I, I just did a podcast with Calvin Hartman where we talked a little bit about, you know, strength training and stuff like that. I, I would even argue that a, a lot of the workouts for just the whole track team, they run too much. I mean, like, I, I even do. think of a long, triple, you know, even a 100 guy or gal. They don't really need to be running 300s. You, you know what I mean? It's not. It's not going to help them. They're ne- they're never going to need to run that long. I mean, especially a long triple jumper. Never mind now a pole vaulter. So it's like if you want to really reach that top speed development, uh, you know, there's there's other things that you should be doing. But it's it's crazy. Just like everybody get on the track and run. Like I, I, you know. It's almost like a lot of times it seems like it's more of a character building experiment, you know, for these guys. We're going to toughen them up. If you're going to gut out these workouts and, and, you know, throw up, then, you know, you'll survive. It's like we're not training, you know, basic training to go into combat here. We're training, you know, highly, you know, tuned athletes, machines, essentially. And, uh, you know, if you want to sprint, you know, if you want to drag race, you don't train it like a a NASCAR. Well, well, and and again, I guess we're going off on a tangent a little bit, but we'll, we'll get back in a second. But you know, I think in two ways it kind of it kind of get turns people away from the sport. Those people who are just getting into it, who want to be a part of it, well, they can't maybe handle that that brute force workout that you're getting everybody to throw up in, and so they leave. And then the person who's really, really like a type, like they're trying to PR, they want to go to nationals, they get really turned off by workouts that don't help them. And then you're gonna get you're gonna get into a battle with that kid, and I, I've seen that happen too. So it's like you, you have two demographics that you should be wanting in your sport: the beginner, the excited person, and the person who's trying to go to nationals. But you're kind of turning both those people away in those scenarios. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's not that you want to have to sell your program, but people do expect to see results, and if they're mm. not getting the results because the workouts aren't tailored to get you results, then yeah, you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have some um, you know some folks uh, just kind of weeding themselves out because uh, they just you know they're not yeah. happy with the status quo. 
but uh, you know, getting back to the yeah, original yeah. point where you're talking yeah, about yeah. just finding a place to vault, um, it's interesting. And you know, I think it's a cultural thing, Bronco, or regional thing. Uh, mm-hmm. When I was up north, um, you know, living in New York, um, I never considered uh, scholarships of any heavy importance. I didn't have any particular mm-hmm. allegiance to any college. Now, in Texas, you know, pretty much every kid sees I'm either going to go to uh, University of Texas in Austin, I'm going to go to right. Texas A&M, I'm going to go to Texas Tech, or I'm going to go to Baylor. Right. And you know, there's hundreds of other universities down yeah. here of other sizes, but everybody's got that mindset. And if I'm not good enough to go with those, then I guess I'm done pole vaulting after high school. Wow, it's like, yeah. whoa, 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 You know, there's a, you know, you have, you have D, division, division one A schools. Okay, you got those big guys, but then you also have the smaller double A schools, the, the right. Texas States, Stephen F. Austin, Sam Houston States, and Carnot Words. And you have division twos, you have division threes, you have NAIA, you have junior college. Right. There's so many different levels and i think everybody just you know i, I guess in a way it's good to you know shoot for the stars or shoot for the moon if you land yeah. short you fall amongst the stars but at the same time you know put yourself in a position to be competitive um if if your passion is there now you may just want to go to that big university for that degree you know uh, a rice university degree is is, is excellent i mean yeah. it's an excellent thing on your resume but you know if if pole vaulting if you're truly truly serious and passionate about it that might not be the right setup. You might be better off at Trinity, which is almost uh, as uh, accredited, I guess, you know, uh, from mm. an academic perspective. But it's right. Division Three; you can be competitive there if you're right. a thirteen-foot you know, guy or fourteen-foot guy or ten-foot girl, or something right. like that. So, right. so again, it's you know, it's it's hard to sometimes bring people down to earth on like, all right, what's reasonable here? And everybody wants a scholarship. Every ten foot girl and eleven foot guy wants a scholarship. Yeah. It's like, hey, you're not quite, you know. If you want a scholarship, go to the library. Study hard. You know, right. Earn it academically. There's a lot more money there. But if you want a pole vault, I'll help you find a place to pole vault. Right, right. Yeah, and, and, and that's where I'm at too. I mean at the club, I, I try to always you know, steer kids towards places where, one, I think it's a college where – you know, meets their academic needs, but they can also be there, successful there in the pole vault. Meaning, like, you know, the school has poles, they have a coach, you know, it's they'll be competitive there, you know, because, uh, you know, that's important. If you want to keep jumping, you need those things. But I, I feel like at least one person a year, you know, they're like, ah, I'll be all right. And then it's like I'm getting phone calls this time of year, like, hey, what am I supposed to do now, you know? Um, exactly. I feel like every, every, it's it's almost hard. It's kind of like when your parents told you not to do something when you were younger, and you're like, ah, mom, you don't understand. And it's like, <laughs> oh, I think she did, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, but yeah, so so c- continue on with your story. So you, so you jump at SUNY Cortland. Sure. So, so you I know? jump at SUNY Cortland, and I I tell you one of the things, the best things I got from uh, Dr. McGinnis, uh, who's still a great friend to this day, is that he had a, a library, and of course back then we're talking VHS, man, right. DVD days. But he had a filing cabinet with probably 200 plus tapes of, of right. uh, you know, elite vaulting. I mean, from the uh, from like the 1940s right on through the 80s and into right. the 90s. And so I would go to his office almost on a daily basis. And say, hey, Pete, can I can I borrow a video or two? And I take a few home, man, and yeah. I would study it. Like after track practice, after you know going to the dining hall, I would watch video for hours. I mean, I was totally obsessed with it. To be honest right. with you, I could I could close my eyes at any given time, and I could tell you you know what Billy Olson's jump looked like right. you know, from the 1984 Tag Championships or something like that. Right, I mean, I right. just had it memorized and being able to kind of almost channel you know those images really did help my vaulting because you know i was i had been stuck as a 12-6 vaulter in high school for two years um for the with a lot of things and and i did break through and go 14-1-4-30 my my freshman year and i think a awesome. lot of it 
I'm gonna I'm gonna attribute it to visual. I just I didn't understand. I didn't have a concept of the vault. Um, so and then having discussions, you know, technique discussions with Peter brought me around um, a lot. So you know, then I moved to Texas. Uh, I won't go into all the details, but bottom line was I'm not a cold weather person anymore. <laughs> I never really was, even though yeah. I lived through it. Um, I like warm weather, and I really wanted to go somewhere where there was a good vault network and okay. um you know you know track and field news magazine would always publish the lists of uh you know your top 10 or 20 uh people in each event you know in high mm. school and college and all that and, and if you look down the list in 1998 of uh you know where are the top vaulters i think something like i don't know uh, 13 of the top 20 were out of texas it right. was unbelievable yeah. you had uh, uh the orange field guys eric eschbach um right. and, uh, john henley jumping uh, eschbach had gone like 18 broke the national record Henley was like 17-6 or something like that Uh, and a handful of guys 17-16-15 was unbelievable I mean if you back then if you had a 15 foot guy in the state of New York man he was state champ it was unbelievable 15 won't even get you to uh, to regionals or state in some places here it's unbelievable so um, so you know definitely and then California was kind of second on the list but uh, you know cost of living and all that I don't know if I I just kind of had a little draw to Texas I was connected with the, uh, the Hood family, Don Hood, that used to uh, mm-hmm. senior that used to put on camps, and now his son Don D puts okay. on camps. And I've gone to their camps uh, when I was in high school, and I've gone mm-hmm. to Hood's house in Texas when I was in college. Spent a week there during a spring break training, so I had a little bit of a connection to Texas. Uh, I came down here hoping to use a fifth year of eligibility from a medical red shirt um, at Southwest Texas State, which is okay. where Don D. Hood was coaching. However, mm-hmm. the NCAA had a policy at the time you had to use any uh, of those uh, those medical red shirt eligibilities at your alma mater. You could not uh-huh. transfer it to a different institution, which that rule was overturned years later. But bottom yeah. line, I couldn't do it. My clock ran out, so I just got into uh, teaching. I was a high school and mm. uh, middle school teacher for three and a half years, English teacher. Mm. And uh, and that's kind of when I decided I want to keep vaulting even though I can't do this in college. So I found right. a guy named Brian Elmore who had this Lone Star Pole Vaulting Club in Austin, Texas. He said, sure, come on up. I was in San Marcos, Texas, which was about uh, 45 minutes south or something like that. And I'd yeah. drive up twice a week and, you know, just vault with him. But again, not with a lot of instruction. It was kind of almost like an open gym situation. Come on right. out and jump, and I'll tell you a few things here and there, but kind of do what you want to do, which right. was great. Give me a place to jump, but I was still kind of stuck in that rut. And, you know, and right. I went on for, I guess, almost like four years without a PR, just still jumping like 14, maybe got 14, 7, 14, 9, but I could not right. break the 15-foot barrier. And I was like, yeah. you know, but then in, uh, in 2001, Bubba Sparks, uh, who I'd known online for a few years, and seen him at Reno, met him at Reno at the Pole Vault Summit, moved to San Marcos. Um, okay. And he was training an elite athlete named Lisa Kabishta at the time, and he mm. asked if we could, uh, he could use my backyard setup. And I said, absolutely. So he said, well, I'll be happy to coach you kind of in exchange for it. So I'm like, okay. great. You know? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, he started coaching me. And from day one, he changed everything. He, he, I didn't have a lot of structure. I was kind of like, a lot of the guys you see, they go to a meet, they do a couple one-handers, you know, a couple pop-ups, yeah. boom, they go back to their long run. And that's, kind right. of, that's the only structure I really knew. Right. And Bob was like, you know, um, now we're going to do we're gonna do three jumps from one, three jumps from two, three jumps from three. You're going to do those in flats. At one, you're just going to stay behind the pole. At two, you're going to swing. Uh, at three, you're going to do um, like a flyaway, essentially. You mm. call it the drill. Right. And, uh, and then the bar goes up. 
And so I was like, okay, you know, it was interesting. It was like, and I wanted to put my spikes on. No, stay in flats. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll trust you. And uh, and then um, instead of the bungee, he's like, all right, the bar goes up. I'm like, bar? But we jump bungees in practice. No, no, you're jumping bar for now. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to argue with you. All right, yeah. let's do it. So, and then he's like, okay, so here's the deal, Chris. You're at three. You don't get to go to four until you clear four meters from three. I'm like, four meters? Is it 13, <laughs> one and a half? How the heck am I going to clear that from three, man? I mean, that's, you know, it's like my opening height from eight. Right, know? right. So he said, no, you're going to do it, and you're going to do it on a 13-foot pole. I'm like, 13-foot pole? Yeah. How am I going to do that? I'm going to have to actually jump over my grip. You yeah, know? So yeah, yeah. Was doing all that well. He's like, you just got to do it. I'm just like, oh, man, I'm going to be here forever. And I think I was there for a week. I mean, maybe two, right. three sessions, boom, and I hit it. And I was like, wow, I couldn't believe I did that. I jumped, you know, four meters on like a 13-190 or something like that. Right. From three, it was like. Okay, cool. All right, now I get to go to four. Okay, now you got to jump four thirty. I'm like four thirty. That's five inches under my lifetime PR. Right. I got to do that from four. And again, I did it. Then we go to five, and so the process continued. And and so really, Bronco, what I think I got from Bubba was I got the structure, and uh, we set up certain uh, you know kind of benchmarks, I guess, or uh, yeah. you know just goals that I had to hit to be able to advance. And and by jumping a bar, there was no question. It wasn't just like wrapping a sagging high bungee or something like that. Right. It was concrete. I know I did it. Um, and then, uh, you know, that I took, then took that and applied that in my own coaching with the, the athletes I had at the time. And the results were unbelievable. I mean, everybody that year, 01, 02, uh, shot up. I mean, probably PR'd by a foot or more, um, across right. the group, which wasn't very big at the time. It was, maybe it was 15 kids or something like that. Right, but, right, right. Uh, but it was an epiphany for me. It's like, okay, all right, there's got to be a structure here. You don't have to jump long run um, at all, at all, or certainly not every day. Um, and you can progress through every run. I never, I never really knew that one, two, three, four, five existed, man. All right. pop ups and long runs. And so, I, that was I, I know, my first I, epiphany. I, I feel like so many people, and and it's crazy, you know, still to this day, so many people, it's like pop-ups which literally are just random strides you don't even know where you're running from it's nope, you're not, right there, yeah <laughs> and and then it's like go back to your long run but it's like going back to bubba sparks i mean look you can't vault for the amount of time that bubba has vaulted i mean how many decades has he been vaulting now like 50 years i'm pretty sure he's, he's like uh I'm, he's like 65 years old and he started uh you know i think uh he was like 12 or 10 or 12 years old. Yeah, I mean, you you can't vault for 50 years without a system. You know what I mean? And I think think that's sometimes part of it. I mean, we were talking a little bit uh, before the podcast about, you know, growing the sport. I mean, part of the the pitfalls uh, for growing the sport is like when you don't have a system, how long can you just be doing full approach, pop-ups and full approach before you kind of get bored of it because you don't Mm -hmm. see an end game. I mean, even you, you love the event so much. I mean, you jumped in college even though maybe you didn't jump so high. Then you were watching those VHS tapes, this and that, got a little PR in college. But then it's like you were stuck for how many years i mean it that's that's tough that yeah that's that's hard you know what i mean like a lot of people don't last four years without pring you know and if you don't have some kind of system where you can see where you can still make progress it makes it very difficult and knowing those standards like i you know i know some people have even said to me chris they go oh bronco all you talk about is numbers I go. I'm, a guy. I'm like, well, what else is there? I don't, I, I don't what get else it. Is there? Yeah. You, you know, I mean, like, look, like we we could talk about feelings all day, but if we don't ground this with something concrete, you know, I mean, you you said you were you were an English teacher, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was an English teacher too. And one of the battles I always had with English teachers is like, you know, there was that time period, I don't know if you remember, where they said, oh, forget about, you know, grammar and mechanics. Let kids just read and write and they'll, they'll learn through, through that. And some people, yeah, and it's like, look, and for, for me personally, that works for a, a, someone like me. I can read and mimic very well, and I, I just understand it. But for a lot of people, they can't do that. I mean, I in my English classroom, I always went back to like, oh my god, we were even diagramming like, um, not even ju- just the sentence, but the ideas in a sentence, and to teach flow. It's like if you don't have some kind of system in place, kids are not going to be able to learn and grow. And, and pole vaulting is no different. I mean. We can get caught in the minutia of like the the long left leg and just talk about that all day. But it's like if your kid's grip didn't go up, if their push off didn't get better, if they didn't get on a bigger pole, like you know what what was the point? I don't want to just have a straight left leg for no reason. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, I'm I'm 100 on board with that. It's always been about the numbers, and you've always we've always kept meticulous training logs. Um, that you know they're at the end of every session. Now kids a lot of time to put them in their cell phones, which is good and bad because they always got them on them, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that sucker gets, uh, if they didn't back up to the cloud, their phone dies and they lose everything. I'm like, back right. up to the cloud, you know, put yeah, it out or yeah. something. But we've always kept uh, meticulous records on, on pull and grip and starting mark and mid marks if you use them and what you cleared, where were your standards, and then just subjective comments. How did you feel? What, what, what cues were you focusing on that day? All that kind of stuff. Right. And that way you could always go back to it and you, you had a history of your training. You know what works and what doesn't work. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm a numbers guy. And then I really started, I never really kept much on the walls. I just you know, never got around to it, even though um, I kind of, it's, it's amazing. I can still remember people's PRs from, you know, 15, 20 years ago, yeah. what pole they jumped on. But right. but I just never had a lot of stuff written down. And I was you know, looking at some of your videos and podcasts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, you know, you've got your, your PR boards on the wall, your push PR and, and yeah. all this kind of stuff. And I, so around July of this year, I started tracking stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I, and, Buying like white dry erase boards is yeah, so yeah. expensive, but but at Home Depot they have this paneling, this four by eight like sheet of plywood that's like a white paneling that you can okay. put that works like dry erase board. Right, right, it's right. It's kind of glossy, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. It was dirt cheap. It was like maybe twelve bucks a sheet, and I just oh, wow. passed it to the wall, and I split it in half. I wish I wish you would have told me this uh, earlier. <laughs> Go ahead. Right? I know those, those dry erase boards are not cheap, but yeah. uh, but but then I put a bunch of. I mean, it basically looks like a spreadsheet graph. I mean, it's uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and of course I. I count total steps. I mean, I can. Yeah, I can, yeah. I'm bilingual. I can talk like you know, and lefts or yeah, talk yeah. total steps. But for example, like I have everybody's name listed in your what's your PR from two steps, four steps, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, whatever. And then right. I have your another set straight pole, strictly just straight pole PR. And when right. I say PR, it's it's over a bar. It's, yeah. it's got to be um, you know, you got to leave a crossbar up. And then right. uh, we have a push PR column, and and then I have another set of numbers that we call the list, and uh, and that's also something I should have mentioned that I mm. picked up from. Bubba Spark that's that's been very, very uh, influential in my coaching style. And I know you've talked about it in the past, but Dave Johnston's chart um, that uh, that tells you what you ought to be able to clear with with a certain grip and where your mid-marks should be and and all that kind of stuff. And we've used that in so many applications. I mean, I've dissected that inside and out, had endless discussions with Dave Johnston himself and Bubba and and, uh, and others that have applied it. And so we we have a game where we call uh, Beat the List. And I got this. Yeah. Where 
I'll give you an example. Like, for example, uh, to clear 10 feet, it says that the uh, the grip required is 11-1. Now, that's right. essentially the assumption is if you're an average vaulter of average ability, if you grip 11-1, you ought to be able to clear 10 feet, right? Right, okay, yeah. That's not, not a big deal for most people. Right. Um, but what we try to do is up the ante. Okay, let's see if you can jump 10-6 with that same 11-1 right. grip. And you do. Okay, I just beat the list by one grip, okay? Now right. let's try to beat it by two. Let's jump 11. All right, beat it by two. Let's beat it by three. And so, right. so I have a column for that, you know, like, like who's who's the best? And I have this little eighth-grade boy that jumped uh, that jumped 10 feet with a 10-3 grip, um, right. which is uh, it's pretty awesome. I mean, no, yeah. like three lefts. And, uh, you know, that beats the list by three. So he's kind of like leading the field right now. I had a boy that uh, beat it by four setups or by four grips, uh, you know, seven or eight years ago. And so it gets the focus off of like the lifetime PR where people get too overly obsessed with that. But you have all these little process goals like, okay, I'm going to break my PR from one, from two, from three, from four, whatever. I'm going to break my push PR. I'm going to beat the list by X number of setups. And you just have so uh, other many little daily process goals that you can attack that you don't get. Uh, you don't get you down on yourself when you're not seeing the big lifetime PR going up, uh, you know, regularly. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's two thoughts that that come to mind, you know, listening to you explain that. I think one, I know with DJ's chart, a lot of times people would be like, oh, I don't catch mid-march. I don't, I don't do that, you know? Yeah. And, and then, you know, there's some people that are like, oh, well, I don't, I don't ever run from this left or that left and whatever. But here's the way I view it. It's like, it's just tools in your toolbox, you know, and I'd rather go to the construction site with a hammer, with a screwdriver, with the circular saw. I don't want to leave something at home, and then if I need it, I don't have it, you know. Right. And I, I, I feel like, you know, from a coaching perspective, it's like you want to have as many tools in your toolbox as possible. I mean, I even think about it like drills. You know what I mean? Like, yep. I mean, drills can have That's a huge exactly impact, you know, like you, you're not going to use every drill every single day, but you might have a kid person. that's you know, right. Some people need a certain drill. Other people, it's not going to benefit them at all. Right. So, so for example, one thing that I, I found with certain kids, it's like, look, they can do the one left drills. Awesome. Cause they're not planting. But as soon as you give them a straight pole and you ask for just a, like a swing to a sit position. From a three, now you've incorporated the plant, it changes everything. They might even be okay with a full jump on a straight pull from a three because it's kind of masked because there's so much speed and they're going full jump. But if you just ask for a strict swing to a sit, you'll start to see a little bit of mistakes, you know, and that's the drill that it's going to help that kid. You know what I mean? But but it's like if you don't ever use the drills, you're never going to see it. You know, it's kind of of like, look, like, you know, I love strength training. I'm sure everybody can tell from my social media. But it's like... If all you did was bicep curls, you know, how, how strong would you get? Like you need to use everything. I mean even even with something like a deadlift, there's so many different variations of the deadlift that we use at the club because it depends on the athlete, you know, and what they need. You know, and so same thing in the pole vault. It's like why, you know, I mean going back to what we originally said, if all you're doing is a pop-up and then full approach, man, you're missing so many tools. You're, yeah. you know, you're you're handicapping yourself. Well, it's like it's like Bubba Sparks told me years ago. Uh, you know, this this old uh, adage that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and yeah. expecting a different result. And that's what I was doing when I uh, met Bubba when he first started coaching me. I had been trying to just beat my head against a brick wall for four years right. and I wasn't making a chip or, or dent. So, um, yeah, I had to kind of reinvent. And the thing is, uh, and so I applied this system of Bubba's. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but then a few years later, I got an opportunity to go up to Bell Athletics with the, uh, right. the college vultures of Southwest Texas State I was coaching and observe uh, Earl Bell uh, give a camp with, with my uh, athletes and take right. notes and, and just pick his brain. And, and again, there was a similar format in terms of structure, in terms of a progression um, that you could apply, but it was different. And it was, uh, you know, it was a lot more vaulting, a lot less drills, but very, very selective on which drills and right. uh, uh, very big on the numbers. Um, so, you know, I took that with what I knew from Bubba, with what I knew from Donhead, with what I learned from McGinnis and whatever I had from my high school experience. And I kind of molded that into my program. And right. then, uh, you know, somewhere along the line, um, uh, I, looked, I met Vitaly Petrov and really started, uh, studied his model. I spent uh, a week with him in 2006. Well, I, um, I will never forget the video you posted of Vitaly um, when he was doing, like, the, the first step of the approach and the baby hurdles. <laughs> like, that was a great video. Great video yeah, because it was, it was huge. Favorites. Yeah. And I still, uh, I still look like to tease the vaulter that was his model. He was a guy named uh, Shay uh, mm-hmm. Kearney that went to uh, Rice University. He's a firefighter in, uh, in Arizona and, and works okay. at the Sky Athletics Club as a coach or has uh, for many mm-hmm. years. Great, great guy. But, uh, you know, Shay was like a firefighter. 30 vaulter like a 17-4 vaulter and yeah. I mean, literally just picks him apart um, right. you know on just on just the posture on just how to take that yeah. step back and start he's like no no too wide steps too wide and you know it, you could just tell from those videos how meticulous uh, Vitaly is um, yeah. on every little aspect of training and that's why a lot of people uh, can't uh, you know make that transition to training with them because it's it, there's such a there's such a huge time commitment there's such a, a long term um, approach to it that well, it's, it's, it's not going to be instant results that you know a typical Americans you know I want results I want a PR by a foot you know in the next month you know well good luck with that <laughs> if you find somebody that can help you with that then well I, I I would even argue that with Vitaly it's like you could PR foot but you've got to buy all, buy in all in. Yeah, if you like, I, I'm probably just going to use this the whole podcast. But if you're in that pop up full approach mentality, that's not going to work with Vitaly. Like you, you've got to really learn his structure, and it's going to lead you down the way. Because I, I mean, to me, it's it's almost laughable, and I, I'm sure we're going to get into it in a couple minutes. But you know. A lot of people bug me because, you know, I coach, you know, the 640 model, Roman Bacharnikov's model, and we talk about pulling with the bottom arm. And everybody obsesses over that. I'm like, dude, your kid's not even holding the pole the right way. Yeah. Like, yeah. you want to argue about that one piece. You didn't even teach your kid how to carry the pole properly, and your kid has no posture in the beginning of the run. You know, and it's like and, – and I guess, like, uh, the next thing that kind of – through this conversation that I think people need to understand is, like, the levels – Right? Like, level one is, like, if we think about video games, right? The skills you use to beat level one of a video game are very different than the skills you need for the last level to win the game. You know? And and sometimes, like, I know I even post things on Instagram that I I feel like people are getting lost in the woods. They don't understand what level I'm talking about. You know? It's like, to me, it's like, look, it's very basic. If you're working with beginners, they need to hold the pole properly. They need to learn how to run. They need to learn how to jump. But people have beginners, and they're showing them video of, like, someone who won USA's, you know, big bend and big swing. And it's like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, let's slow down. Like, you know, like, you, you have to go by go through each level. And then by the last level, that's when the refinement starts happening. You know, yeah. but I think the thing with someone like Vitaly, it's like Vitaly has that ground-up model. He, he addresses each level before he gets you to be world-class, you know? Yeah, he does. 
Um, there's a great video. Um, it's on YouTube. Uh, and uh, I've got a YouTube. I don't have a channel. Like I don't post original content, but mm-hmm. I do have like a, you know, an account or whatever. Right. And I have a playlist. It's like whole wall playlist uh, okay. on there. And uh, there's a video. It's all in Italian, actually, of, of Italy. Um, it was kind of um, it was made know, quite a while ago, maybe 15 years or 20 years ago even. But uh, it, it shows his entire system um, of uh, development. So there's a there's kids and then there's you know some you know probably uh, I, I wouldn't I don't know with not big elite name vaulters but you know yeah. guys that are probably emerging elite types in right. that video and they go through this system of drills just from very very simple general you know uh, running type drills flexibility type drills into more advanced uh, technique but you, you can see the you can see the framework here you know here's the demographic you're working with this kid these are the drills you're doing but here's the more advanced older athletes and here's right. you know how they're modifying that you know for their needs uh, and uh, so yeah so so Vitaly is, is uh, I mean, he's the epitome of systematic um, right. and structured and a perfectionist. And I mean, you know, Alan Launder once told me he sent some athletes, some young athletes yeah. he's working with to work with Vitaly for two weeks. Yeah. After a week, they called him up complaining, saying like, you know, all we do is run, run, run. We don't get to work on anything else. And he's like, well, there's a reason for that. He right. really knows what he's doing. If you don't have the run, you know, yeah. you don't have the jump. And uh, a lot of people just don't, don't have the patience, you know, to go through that. I know a lot of elite athletes have jumped ship from whoever uh, they were working with to go work with uh, Vitaly and didn't last in the long term because, again, he's taking the long-term approach. He's a perfectionist. And, and if they're not getting the results within one or two years or something well, like I, that. No, I, I you know, remember Alan Launder even threw in that video of Isambayeva training with him and I remember it's like dude she was just doing like walks where she's going knee up toe up because she used to have a little bit toe down on the run and it's like he just had her going knee up toe up yeah get that dorsal flexion and it was like I mean like that because it's important right like if she's gonna run faster she's got to do this and if she can run faster she'll jump higher and you know that'll even help the technique off the ground but it's like you know he's trying to put you in good position it's it's so crazy and i know even at my club it's so funny like new people will come in and especially if they're like they've been pole vaulting before they they came to the club they're shocked like i'm taking them through the warm-up and at least the first half hour is just all running pole carry pole runs and it's like i'm like i'll promise you we will jump today but this this is every day we have to do this i have to you really have to sell that and i struggle with that too i mean everyone that's due to my club i'm not gonna let you jump right into the club you've got to do at least a private lesson with me at least one Mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll see how well you grasp the concepts and then i'll let usually let them decide if you you think you're ready to get in a lot of right i don't know can i have another private can i have another private before i get in and then sometimes I have to coax them okay you're ready you know you can you can jump into club now but uh yeah but yeah it's it's you know a similar format um to where you know the first 20 minutes are just all you know very specific drills a lot of it you know running based and it's like look if you if you can't run and hold the pole you know in the right position and posture you know why are we bothering to work on swing and and, right. and turn at this point let's let's get you off the ground you right know, halfway correctly before we start working on but you know what is what is every every other post on like uh you know like a social media form yeah. or something like that you know how do i get upside down i want to get upside down how do i get inverted you know and everybody's obsessed with that and not to right. say that there's you know not a certain amount of importance on that clearly there is but but it's like okay you know how do i hit a golf ball 
you know, three or 400 yards. Well, it starts with the stance <laughs> and the grip and the balance. Okay. It's like, if you're not really to look at those little elements that seem unrelated, you're never going to get to, you know, the elements that you do want to perfect. Right. Right. Well, and, and even like, you know, it's so funny. You talk about like how everybody, you know, oh, I want to get inverted. I, I always tell people like, so my, my best is 14, right? With 13 foot grip. And like on that 13, six, 14 foot jumps, like, yeah, I get a really nice invert and it's smooth. But I always argue with people. I'm like, my best push off was only a foot eight inches, right? I go, but I've cleared a lot of bars with eight inch foot push where I don't get completely inverted because I'm going through the jump fast enough. And I can't tell you, it, it drives me crazy. I see video of kids that are like completely inverted, but they've missed the turn and they just fall off the pole. And I'm like, you're going negative two, negative four inch push. Is it really worth it to get inverted? Like, I feel like sometimes people get that mixed up. Like, yes, if if you get there quick enough and you can hit a full inversion, yeah, you're probably going to go two-foot push. But if you're just forcing the inversion, you actually slow down the jump. It's like there's so much more depth to this than just, oh, get inverted, you know? There is. There is. No, I'm 100% with you on that. And one of the the people I want to kind of pay tribute to that opened my eyes to that was uh, Kyle Ellis. Uh, Kyle, um, I believe, is doing some volunteer coaching Texas A&M now, but he's developed you know, a, a few 18-foot guys and uh, yeah. 14-7 girls and stuff like that. He's a very, very knowledgeable, excellent coach. and coached for my kid for about, I don't know, seven or eight months. And um, But, you know, he was really talking about not so much the, you know, uh, whatever success, and I know you've talked about this before with positions. Everybody wants to see this position or that position, but they don't see it within the, the broader context, the framework of the entire jump. They don't see pole speed. They don't see continuity. Right. Say, oh, you know, everybody wants to hit the pause button and say, oh, look at this left arm on the takeoff, or look at that knee drive, look at that trail over, look at that inversion, or this or that. And yeah, those things look pretty, but let's see the whole jump. And, right. Oh, but you just kind of fell off the top of the pole with a negative four push or something like that. So it's like, how is it really benefiting you? And then I, what I like to do when I do show videos, I show guys video of the uh, black and white stuff on the old uh, bamboo balls, Columbia, this Ramadan, or Bob Richards. Or right. Like that. I'm like, look at this amount of push off. This pole did not bend. Um, right. They did not have a big left arm. They did not have all this knee drive separation. It's so important. And these guys are pushing, you know, three feet over their grip. I said, and they're not upside down. And you can freeze frame that. And at no point do you see these guys completely vertical or negative on it. Right. Because if they did, it would stall the jump out and they would just come down on it. I mean, so it's not that it's, I don't want to say it's not important to get upside down. I think it's, I think it's overemphasized out of context. Right. And obviously, we've seen Aussie videos of Luca upside down, but if you were to see how fast, you know, see that jump in regular speed, how fast it moved, and right, without any pauses, without any breaks, versus somebody else who just gets upside down and just kind of sits there, and right, dumps them off. I mean, it's a it's a huge difference. Yeah, no, I and and you're so right. I mean, like the again, it's it's the the depth and it's like the levels. You know, it's like I, if I have a beginner or even novice kid. I mean, let's just for numbers' sake, like a girl comes in, she's got a ten foot PR. Her her grip with the ten foot PR is eleven nine. I mean, I don't think we need to worry about getting fully inverted at this point because clearly that girl's not pushing off her grip at all. Like, you can really do some basic fundamental work with her, you know, before you get focused on inversion, you know what I mean? Yeah. I run into that a lot, Bronco, uh, in Texas as 
with a lot of the a lot of the other coaches in this area, or not I can say in this area. I mean, just kind of all over. I think, mm-hmm. but uh, high school and club uh, combined is that there's a there's a huge preoccupation with grip, 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 grip. Let's get the grip up. They see a Sean Barber guy that you know that's that's gripping like seventeen six, and we got to do that. You know, we got to right. do that. You know, I say, well, what about Sam Kendricks? You know, the guy that jumped, you know, nineteen eight, gripping like fifteen eleven. I said, right. you know, they jump, they they got the same PR, but this guy's got like you know a four and a half foot push off and this guy is you know maybe what? what two and a half three foot push off something like that i mean i think i think the, the ability for long-term growth is if you can increase that push off you know physiologically you get stronger you get faster you increase your vertical through plyos or whatever right. else you're going to be able to grip higher but what happens if you push that grip up to the limits of human capacity right you can't swing but you can't pull but you can't uh jump over your grip it's, uh, it's, it's going to be really hard to go backwards and unteach those bad habits. Yep. You so know? I, I consider teaching from the from the bottom up versus from the top down. And I see a lot of top down. I see a lot of emphasis on huge left arm, you know, block and spend the crap out of the pole. It's grip as high as possible and sit over the bar, you know. Eventually, you're going to learn how to swing. But right now, let's just jump as high as possible <laughs> and then we'll figure it out as we go. And it's just like... It's like, okay, let's intentionally create bad habits and then go back and try to fix them instead of just teaching them how to do it correctly from the beginning. It just doesn't, it doesn't jive with me, but I see it all the time. And, you know, and I see these guys, uh, you know, on 15, 16 foot poles in high school jumping like 14, 14, 6. And I'm like, what's that about? You know, I'd, I'd rather, you know, see the, the kid that's yeah. on 13 foot pole jumping 14, man. It's a whole lot more impressive than right. 15 foot pole. Well, the other thing that I would add, and, and before we kind of, go on to I guess like the next uh, part of your coaching evolution but it's like when you coach that way you just want to get kids to bend the pole and get their grip up the thing is you turn away kids who are maybe not ready to do that I mean I I can't like I just recently it was so awesome at my Halloween vault I had an 11 year old girl jump 7 feet from 4 lefts you know and she's this tiny little thing like she's maybe 5 foot tall but like but yeah like she's obviously straight pulling it She's not bending the pole, you know what I mean? I, I mean, she she jumps on a 10, 8, 75. I don't know that she weighs 75 pounds yet. But it's like, you know, she's not going to bend the pole. It's like if I spent all my time trying to get her to bend a pole and get her grip up, I, I don't think she would have jumped seven. You know what I mean? And she would have probably turned away from the sport until she got older if she ever came back. You know what I mean? And I feel like there's a lot of kids that they can have fun vaulting. I mean, I have a uh, these couple of guys that train together. They're, they're both sophomores in high school. I mean, they're both maybe 120 pounds. You know what I mean? If you could picture it. And it's like, you know, they're not going to bend the pole right now. The one guy, he, his pole is actually starting to bend just naturally through just running and swinging, you know. But, you know, the other kid, he's not going to bend the pole right now. But that's okay. He can still pole vault. He's still having a good time. He's still learning the sport. And as he gets older, I'm sure by senior year, he is going to bend the pole. I'm sure by senior year, he is going to jump pr- a pretty decent height for him. You know, but it's like when you just want to get people to bend the pole right away and, uh, you know, force that grip up – I feel like it turns a lot of people away because they're not going to be physically capable capable of oh, that yeah. right away. You know, well, and you can put you can put a noodle in their hand to get anybody to bend a, a soften a pole. Put a piece right. of PVC in that girl's hand, she'll bend it. Does that mean she's going to jump any higher? No. And I'll tell you what what I find fascinating. So I told you about the board I have on my wall with all right. the various practice PRs. So um, so from jumping from two steps or one uh, left uh, and uh, and uh, two lefts and three lefts, right. some of the beginners, the kids you're talking about, the middle schoolers. They, they'll have a higher PR straight pulling than bent pulling. I mean, that's kind yeah. of bizarre, but that's the thing. The bent pull 
it's, it's got to be so soft to get it to bend that it just comes back so slow that it's, right. the cord is just too short. It's not lengthening at the right time. You can't quite get them uh, on the right pole. So they actually just jump better straight pulling than bent pole anyway. Um, right. And of course, you know, once they figure out how to do things better and, and move to stiffer poles, then of course that, that changes. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, there's no rule in the book that says the pole has to bend. I mean, the bottom line is you can use the pole made anything and uh, whether it bends or not, um, clear the, the highest possible bar and and uh yeah. you know i think the bend should be a side of i mean it's kind of an alan launder philosophy right the bench uh, should almost be a side effect of doing things right okay now right. i learn how to plant how to take off and if i have the right pole in my hands this thing will just start to bend without me trying so the i don't think the intent should be the the end goal should be to bend the pole i think it should be to move the pole to swing on the pole to pull on the pole to to vault over your grip and uh you know when you're doing enough of those things right and you get the right size pole in your hand all of a sudden well this thing started bending and now i can bump my grip up naturally yeah. as needed instead of trying to just force it you know right well you know it's it's cause and effect i i actually posted about this yesterday i i used the the collapsed bottom arm as an example you know everybody sees a collapsed bottom arm they're like oh you don't collapse Right, but you're not looking at the cause. What's causing that? And the same thing with the pole bending. Like, th- that's an effect of everything prior. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And so, if you don't have the runway speed, if you're not jumping up, if you're not swinging properly, you know, it's not just going to bend. You know, you, mm-hmm. you know, you need all those prerequisites. Um, so, so let me ask you. So, how did you get introduced to the 640 model? How did how did that become part of your coaching? Okay, so that's kind of like I, I would say would be the the latest. Uh, evolution of of all the coaching influence I've had over the years. Um, So I've known Roman, um, I'm trying to even remember how I met Roman, it would have been at Reno years ago, and uh, well I'll tell you what, back on um, uh, just when he was posting uh, on online forums and stuff like that, I would Mm -hmm. just uh, DM him and ask him questions about uh, like his pole climbing drill for example. Right. Um, uh, and uh, you know, he explained it to me. He said, "Yes, when you do this drill, you know, yeah. <laughs> the Russian accent, right. you will want to stand behind tree because athlete will get very mad and throw things at you." <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I just love Roman. I love yeah. about Russian stuff all the time. But uh, um, so, yeah, so I corresponded a little bit with him back then. And then when I was in Reno, geez, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago, mm-hmm. he said, uh, "You know, I've got to check out this new M640 website." He gave me like a like a business card with the web address on the URL on it. And and, uh, and, you know, I kind of went on it and I saw that, okay, you know, there's free content, there's subscriber content. I went through the free content, thought this was pretty good, but I just, you know, wasn't ready to subscribe yeah. at that point. So I just kind of blew it off and kind of continued to do what I, what I was doing. But uh, I don't know. I think uh, you know, uh, when Kyle Ellis was working for me, you know, he was telling me a little bit about um, some of the content that, mm-hmm. that he had seen when he was a subscriber on. And I said, yeah, I think I'll check it out. So I subscribed, you know, like a year ago or something like that. I was yeah. Like, it was very hard at first to wrap my mind around some concepts because they were so contrary to everything you right. ever heard about, like, especially in the plant, that the left arm should be straight out in front of you, but the right arm should be bent. I'm like, right. bent. I mean, everybody and their brother-in-law has always preached that that, that top arm has got to be dead straight overhead when that pole goes in the box. And it's like, right. I, I don't get it. You know, I, don't, right. and I just kept reading it and rereading it and then watching his videos and just trying to wrap my head around it. And then, of course, you know, the big one, the, the pole with the bottom arm. Right. You know, and I remember debating that on a forum years ago um, mm-hmm. with other folks, too, and, and everybody had their interpretation on that. Everybody's like, no, it's just lost in translation because of Roman's English, you know, it's right. not explaining it right. Stuff like yeah. That. But, uh, but 
but I'm like, you know what? I finally said, let's just give it a try. Let's just experiment with this a little bit. Practice. Yeah. I'm going to try to use some of these cues and see what happens. And so, so we did. Um, and uh, especially uh, on straight pole vaulting, it's like you can see an immediate difference. Uh, right. You know, just just the concept. And Roman brought this up years ago. Just you know, go go uh, go stand underneath a rope and put your arms on it and get upside down. Now, how did you do it? You know, what mile? If you really close your eyes and try to try to feel like what muscles are firing of course you're pulling there is no way to right. go upside down you can't swing upside down from a well, stationary position hanging you know on so anything or, j- just you know. to stop you for one second it's funny because um you know Incencio, he was renault's uh, old yeah. coach and yeah. he's in china yeah. now yeah. he posted one of his female athletes on uh, team china um mm-hmm. doing you know rope drill and she actually didn't pull she, I, well, I saw the left arm extended. Yeah, and she kind of just like right. she kind of levered herself up. But yeah. the argument that I would make there for people, yeah, it's not fast. You can't you no. can't move that slowly in the vault. Like you just yeah. can't. And so you're you're, you're yeah. relying on lats. You know, I mean, it's the same concept as like a pullover, um, right? Like a dumbbell pullover, or a pullover on a bar, or something. Like yeah, yeah. You're using entirely lats. So you could argue is that is that a form of pulling because of the way that lat is contracting? Right. You could almost argue it, but no, the pulling with the bottom. Yeah, absolutely. It's it just it accelerates everything. It just it gets you there. You know what I tell people all the time is like, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to try to do this, you know, rope fall. So not just an inversion, but like you know, swing upside down on the rope and shoot and turn over a bungee. We do that every day in warm ups in my club. Right. And I said I want you to go halfway up and stop, pause for like count one Mississippi, and then finish. Yeah. Like, well, I couldn't do that. I would just fall right down. Like, <laughs> exactly. If you lose your momentum, you cannot generate it from you know a, a position where right. you don't have the leverage. You know to do that, you have to do it in one continuous movement, and that's how I view the vault. And that's a lot of what I got from Roman is 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 increasing the speed of the movement from toe off to, to push off of the pole. Um, right. To keep that energy in the system, you, if you if you have all this starting, stopping, and pauses built in. It's just energy loss and it's wow. loss of push off and, right. and, uh, and energy input to the system. So, so yeah, that's you know that really made sense to me, and that's uh, when I really started applying all of his concepts. Right. Well, y- you know what's interesting to me too is I'll see a lot of people do rope vault, right? And you're watching them rope vault, and they're clearly pulling. I remember even one time it was it was so so interesting. I was at Akron one year with a bunch of my athletes, and you know bunch of speakers and and you know the expert was talking whoever the expert was and they were talking about rope vault and so one of my guys gets up he's like okay so you're pulling on the rope to do the rope vault and and the guy's like yeah he goes so when do you pull when you pull vault and the coach was like oh you it's different you don't do that when you pull vault and and here's my thing fine that's fair so why are you doing the rope vault yeah, right. you're doing something that's just teaching an in-specific action or, or something that's contrary, that's polar opposite to what, you know, you think you want to be doing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I remember Bootka in an interview years ago um, said that you know, he enjoyed the sport of tennis, but he's not allowed to play it because the, the movements are wrong. They'll, you know, they'll somehow mess with his, his uh, you know, his, his motor pathway or uh-huh. something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's extreme, but, but right. the point is, yeah, why, you know, I see people do a lot of drills that require you to do things, uh, 
that you wouldn't do in a vault. Like like traditional pop-ups, for example. Right. Everybody likes to come in and jam that left elbow inside the pole so they can rock uh, back farther. Right. It's like, well, I mean, okay, show me a video of, I mean, it doesn't have to be an elite, you know, even a, a good high school vaulter, you know, that's jumping yeah. over the grip that takes off with their elbow wedged inside the pole right. against their forearm. I'm like, it's, it's like, why would you train this action? You know, it just doesn't, right. it doesn't make sense. But I see stuff like that all, like one-handers, like since when do you ever take off with just one hand and let your arm get yanked back behind you and then have to swing off that or, or complete a jump off that? It's just, you know, there's just things that out there I see a lot of people doing that it's like, yeah, it, I really rethink some of these things. Right. And what are the, what's well, the benefit? Well, and, and look, I think on one end, I think it's innocent, right? Like if I'm new to pole vault or I'm not that experienced and I see someone who jumps high, does that drill? All right, there must be a reason. I don't really delve into it. I mean, they probably copied somebody else they saw doing it. Right. Right. I mean, that that's almost like also like first step stuff. I mean, some yeah. people have like some weird theatrics they do before they head down the runway, but you'll oh, see it. if if that kid is good, other people will mimic that kid, you know? That's yeah, and, yeah, and I think the thing is, like, you know, I, I hate to say that me and you are outliers, but we tend to, like, investigate everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, no, it's I, like, I, I, I yeah, I'm looking at something, I'm like, okay, what here can help me? What's not going to help me? You know, it's like, and I, I, I must, I hate to say this, I don't have an allegiance to anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I just want to do what's going to work and what's going to help my kids. I mean, I even remember you writing your story about you had an athlete that just was having so much trouble planting the pole. You guys stopped planting and she PR'd like two feet, right? Yeah, just by sliding the pole down the runway. Right, yeah. and it's and and to me, it's like that's a perfect example. Like even for people who are listening to this, right? They're like, oh well, you know, Bronco was saying you got to run exactly like this, or Chris said you got to do it exactly like that. But the thing is, you may have a particular athlete where you have to switch it up and say, hey, like this is not working. We got we got to try something different. You know, and that's I think that's the that's the art of coaching. I mean, you know, we're clearly you know trying to stay grounded in the science, but there's a you know, an individual case by case. Um, you know situation when you're in a club like 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 we have with a right. wide variety of of ages and ability levels um and experience and so you know what works for one person doesn't work for everybody it'd be nice right. to have a cookie cutter approach that did but it's just not that simple if you want to get results you've got to be willing to modify and adapt and so you know when i was talking about the petrov thing so i spent a week with him in 2006 at a training camp got to pick mm-hmm. his brain i was still i wasn't vaulting seriously but he did coach me as I was kind of vaulting in an exhibition down there. It was in, it was in Argentina at the time. I was coaching a vaulter from Peru. So, uh, And then I saw him again in 2010 when I took all that footage I posted online. It was at Rice yeah. for the NACAC uh, conference. And uh, and then I corresponded with him on email and, uh, yeah. and, and watched him speak in Reno a few times. So I spent a lot of time with Vitaly. And, and what I realized is like even though I see the, the beauty in his system, I don't know that anybody can implement his system but him, you know, 100% right. pure and effective. That's the thing because he sees it, he graphs, graphs uh, every element within it. And it's like when I've tried to bring on assistant coaches to help me, and I've had a, quite a few over the years, yeah. um, I, I can't give them my eyes. You know, I can say, okay, here's our, here's our system. Here's the drill, the progressions we're going to use. Here's what we're going to do uh, today. But, you know, I, I can kind of you know, play like a, uh, like a fly on the wall and eavesdrop when they're coaching a the session. It's like, yeah. oh, how'd you miss this? How'd you miss that? I just, I can't get them to actually see things the way I do and I think I don't know that Vitaly can either if he's had any interest in trying but uh, but what I learned was that implementing his model 
in my context, and I think you did your last po- right. podcast about context. I haven't had a yeah. chance to, to listen to it yet, but mm-hmm. uh, it's got to be within the context. So my context is I have two sessions a day um, after school. I've got four thirty to six, and then I got a six to seven thirty. I got an hour and a half to do right. as much as I possibly, and that's not enough time. You know that's not enough yeah. time. And I mean, I used to do two hour practices. They would go into two and a half, three hours sometimes. But I just family guy now. I just don't yeah. have that kind of time to uh, devote to it. So. I mean, I've literally had to go to what I call a meat and potatoes approach and really just, you know, just get rid of all the, the sides and really use what works. And so a lot of Vitaly stuff, it's just, it's very time consuming. I don't want to say tedious, but it's with the amount of time I have to work, I'm not getting much bang for my buck. If that right. No, I, I totally understand. And I think that's something where I think, again, people maybe don't even understand the context I'm coming from. Like, you know, I, I, I wrote that blog article and posted and I, I knew I was going to get a response, you know, some positive, some <laughs> negative, but I was like, you know, I think gymnastics are overrated. And I mean, my whole point of, with that was, you know, uh, you know, you have a kid who can't do a single pull-up. Um, maybe rings are not the best idea. Maybe we should go do some pull-ups. You know, and and when you have kids who are either beginners or, like you said, you have a time constraint. You know, how many times do you want to have a kid lay on a scooter and push themselves? across the floor and what's the transfer what's the positive transfer i mean that's you know and i started my graduate work in uh in exercise and sports science and i kind of abandoned it years ago but one of the best courses i took was motor learning and performance and a lot of it was uh you know all these drills that that people devise that are simulations and whatnot uh you know what's the relative effectiveness is there a positive transfer i mean if you perform this drill x number of reps i know roman's got his whole formula on that i don't know if it was rule of eight or something like right, that right, but, right, right. Uh, but uh you know you've got to do it this many times to see a difference but yeah i mean if you're doing this over and over again and you're not seeing the application of that movement pattern in the actual vault yeah what's its relative you know uh, value is it valuable at all so so literally we, we, we've trimmed and trimmed and trimmed i mean i'm on a bare bones program now i mean i unlike unlike yourself and your format we don't mm-hmm. we don't even handle strength training at this right. point I, I really leave it up to the athletes to do it on their own and i'll write right. the programs you know i'll give them suggestions on what to do but we're strictly kind of technique based which yeah, is not yeah. ideal by any means but uh but i found how to make it work and still get people to improve they're not tapping 100 percent of their potential but you know they're getting something out of it and well, uh and they're well, competitive well but but here's the thing too chris i think another thing as far as levels and context i think you know, even what I do, not everyone has to do it like this. Not everyone has to do it like you. Like, I think even like for people who are listening to this and they're like, Hey, I want to be a coach or I want to have my own club someday. There's a spectrum, you know, I mean, think about gyms, right? There's planet fitness where they give you pizza on Fridays. And then there, then there's like West side barbell where you have these power lifters, you know, bleeding through their nose, trying to squat a thousand pounds, you know? So it's like, and everything in between, right? You know, so it's like, there's that possibility for pole vaulting gyms. I mean, at my gym, like just the way it's kind of evolved, like a lot of my clients, they, they want to put the extra work in. I wanted to have the equipment for them. You know, I, I wanted that to be there for them, but there's a lot of people, they just want to come in and jump. They're not interested in doing maybe the strength and conditioning portion. And I would even say that there's, if this sport grows the way I think it can, you know, there's going to be uh, availability for people to open gyms that are just strictly like people come in, pay to jump, they jump, they leave. They're not even getting coaching. I mean, that that's the kind of spectrum of, of like possibilities that we have out there. 
I offer that service. It's called Open Gym. I, you know, not for kids. It's typically for, uh, you know, uh, college or masters or something. Like, look, if you right. just want to get some runway time, you don't need my eyes on you. Sign the waiver so that we're covered on the insurance yeah. and don't kill yourself. But, right. uh, but yeah, you know, you're right. It's just like going into a, a, a restaurant with a menu. Some people are skipping the appetizer. They're going straight to the main course. They want the check. Everybody, you know, then there, yeah. there's people that want the appetizer, the main course, the salad, the soup, the dessert, the whole experience. Yeah. And so it's nice to be able to uh, to offer them all those options. And, uh, my club, uh, 10 years ago, uh, we were doing everything. We were doing powerlifting, Olympic right. lifting, uh, plyos, gymnastics. And some of the athletes I was working with off-site at, at a track where we would do running and plyos or sand drills or whatever. Whatever. Um, but as it evolved and, um, and you know, what time constraints uh, uh, and facility constraints and transportation, and that's one of the biggest things, just yeah. transportation. Like the kids got to ride. They got to they gotta leave, man. They got homework. Yeah. They got stuff like that. So yep. you've got to factor in, you know, those little extraneous factors that, uh, that aren't ideal. Um, but uh, right. you make it work. You adapt for your context, for your situation. Right. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be people who, if they open a gym, you know, they are going to be in a situation where, look, a lot of the kids are going to have to do a lot of training at their high schools. And when they come in, they're just going to come in and jump. You know what I mean? Like there's not going to be time for, for training, you know? And like you said, a lot of kids are getting rides. So it's like they, they have a, a really strict guideline. I mean, even with the kids at my club, I have some that it's, it's strict two hours. They can't be here any longer than that. And so a lot of times I'm making a decision in practice. Is this athlete going to jump for the whole two hours or do I cut them a little bit short and let them get a couple lifts in before they go? Which lifts do we choose? And it's like that, that also becomes an idea of context. You know, it's like, what, you know, you have to make decisions based upon what's going to get the best bang for the buck for this person, you know? Well, sure. And I always had this situation where, you know, when we used to factor in all the conditioning at the end of the workout, whether it was the lifting or just abs or yeah. uh, whatever, um, you know, you got somebody on the runway and they're having an epiphany, man. They're figuring stuff right. out. Like, oh, my man, I know you're going to get this bar on the next rep or the next. Or, right. And it's like you don't want to shut them down because Correct. they're so close to just kind of realizing, you know, jumping up a level. And, right. uh, and then, so then it cuts into your time. And then all of a sudden, oh, the two hours is up. And, you know, mom or dad standing at the door kind of like, you know, tapping their wrist right. or something like that. We got to go. And it's like, oh, man, okay. So what, you know, would it have been better to cut that person short and put them on the weights or to, or to jump, you know, stick with the jumps? No, I, I see. I would argue you keep them with the jumps, you know, in that yeah. scenario. You yeah, know, absolutely. I would too. Um, but, you know, will they make up their list? That's the other thing is the athlete is motivated enough to do it on their own. And right. a lot of times if they don't have supervision, they're just not going to do it. Now, some of the, a lot of the schools down here have good, I say good, you know, halfway decent strength conditioning programs, mm-hmm. um, you know, at school during uh, even an off season, like some schools have an right. off season track program where they're with a you know, certified strength coach. Now, again, it might be a cookie cutter approach. It may not be, you know, tailored specifically for a pole vaulter, but at least they're getting some supervision. Right. Because I, I don't want kids that don't know how to squat out there, you know, bending over, you right. know, and hurting themselves. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'd rather have them not lift than, than do damage by lifting. Right, exactly. And I used to be very meticulous about how I taught the deadlift and the clean and everything right. like that. And again, it just time got away from me. But, uh, but yeah, you know, you, you have all these decisions as a cl- as a coach to face, like, how much time do I want to spend on running mechanics? How much time do I want to spend on gymnastics, on weights, on drills, on jumps over bungee, jumps over bars? And you just have to decide what 
best fits your context, your, your right. time frame, and, and the uh, and your demographic. You know. Yeah, um, I guess just to go back because I feel like we got off on this tangent, but like sure. going back to like six forty. Um, so you know you, you make this. Uh, so you you teach six forty now, like right. Yeah, I mean, within uh, I teach a lot of things, but 640 is incorporated within uh, most everything we do. Uh, I'd say that the biggest points uh, that stand out in my mind are the plant, of course, yeah. where, um, and you can see it in the diagrams where mm-hmm. you know the left arm needs to be extended completely in front of you uh, when the pole goes into the box uh, before it strikes the back of the box, and your right arm is not straight overhead; it's not locked out at. 12 o'clock or what have you it's it's actually slightly bent and then as you transfer your weight through the takeoff you know and the pole strikes the box then your arms are stretched i guess into position and you're right. immediately starting the pull with the bottom arm so uh so you know we, we talked about left arm and blocking a little bit like that sometimes people misinterpret this but it's not that i want you to come in and lock out your left arm okay yeah but i want the i want you to have space between your torso right. between your body and the pull via the left arm i want there to be a maximum amount of space so when that impact with the box happens you know you can uh, stretch be fairly rigid but stretch elastically and in- initiate that inversion immediately where right. if you're if you're locked if you're locked out uh, all of a sudden boom it's like you can close on your hips get sucked forward and you right. can't invert if you collapse basically the same thing happens your clothesline right. but everything is jammed up into you and now your hips are sucked forward and you can't invert so i want it to be rigid um but rigidly elastic if that's you know good enough oxymoron for you yeah uh, well what what i what i would say even uh to add to that is that yeah like when when you collapse too what i i I feel like you know sometimes people watch my vaulters and like oh that kid has a collapsed bottom arm one i mean i feel like a lot of vaulters have collapsed bottom arms that's just an issue in the vault um but secondly i don't want kids to have a collapsed bottom arm because if you're Bottom arm is collapsed. Imagine that rope uh, scenario or rope drill. You know, it's like yeah. you're not going to try to pull yourself upside down with your hands by your chest. Like you're exactly. going to reach overhead so you can actually engage all your muscle. You know. Yeah, and I think a lot of people they only see the fact that the left arm is bent and they read that as collapsed. But there, there's I think well, and they read it as pulling. Line. They'll see the elbow bent and they're like, oh, see that person pulled. But that's yeah. not really. That's not always the case. You know, there's no, a lot of different no. reasons for a collapse. Certainly, certainly, and and you know, a very very simple uh, test. Sometimes uh, I'll have my athletes do just to so they grasp the concept. Is like, okay, I want you to. This is no pole involved here. I want you to stand in front of the pit. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in front of the front bun facing it. Okay, now I want you to put your arms out in front of you, kind of lock them out, and then I want you to you know follow intentionally fall on your face in the front bun, but catch yourself with extended arms. Okay, now everybody can do that. Everybody can basically be solid enough to not let their chest hit the pit right that makes sense if you can picture yeah, yeah, that yeah. Now, now i say i want you to do the same thing with your hands you know six inches from your chest so your elbows are bent now but stop right. yourself don't let your chest hit the pit and nobody can do it i don't care right. how strong they are boom yeah. they all just collapse it's like okay so if the pole hits the box and your and your left arm is you know against you or just right in front of you or basically it's not extended you know how solid are you hitting the pole you're not you know you're just right. uh, you're a you're, you're a mosquito hitting a windshield at 100 miles an hour if your arm is in front of you i'm not wanting you to lock it out and granted the analogy may fail because you are locked out on it mm. um but you see how much stronger it is i mean think of it in terms of bench press how much weight can a person hold at full lockout versus what can they you know take down touch their chest and press right. back up yeah, on a yeah. bench it's it's vastly 
difference. So it's it's I want the pull uh, when it strikes the box. I want your body to be solid through that extension, but it's not going to stay there. You know, elastically, that left arm is going to kind of stretch back above your head. And like you talked about on the rope, if you're going to do a rope drill, where where would you put your left hand? You'd put it over your head because that's where you have the leverage to pull and invert. Right. And, and so it's it's a it's a process of getting from from point A to point B, but it has to be in front of you to do that. And and Roman was not the first person that proposed that concept. Mm-hmm. I actually heard this from uh, Dennis Kolev. Um, okay. Dennis was a was a vaulter for Israel uh, and for USC. He was like I believe an eighteen ten like five seventy five vaulter uh-huh. that I correspond with from time to time on ideas. And he told me he said no, the, the right arm does not have to be straight to take off. He said, yeah. but, but but everybody says you know you have to increase the ground the, the pole ground angle. It's got to be an right. He said we did they did studies on this you know 30, 40 years ago. It doesn't make that much difference, but there is an enormous amount of difference with if the left arm is extended when the pole strikes the box versus if it's bent uh, and then you're trying to force it back out you know after it's right. the box. Well, so so you, you know what I feel like sometimes people don't realize like I, I think sometimes when people apply physics to the pole vault what they're forgetting is you're dealing with a human body and a pole not like like even there's that oversimplification where they hang the weight you know what I mean on the pole yeah, and yeah. see how much you know pressure it takes to move forward it's like we're not like a, a, a weight hanging from ropes on a pole. Like we have muscle tissue, and you, you, do you get what I'm saying? Like they're not Absolutely. looking at it as, as human beings no, doing that's something. That's the problem. That, that's that's a problem that's presented when anytime you're trying to build some kind of a, a simulation model or something like that. Like just for example, when Gill Athletics was was testing their FX uh, line of poles, uh, you know, 15, mm. 20 years ago, they built a device in the factory where they could take a pole uh, that was standing up on, on a track essentially against the right. wall they could they could winch it down and bend it put a certain amount of weight on it and then release that and they see how high the, it would throw the weight um, right it's like okay I, I get what you're trying to do here maybe something a little bit more specific than a simple flex test but at the same time you're loading the pole with one lever in a vertical line down you know versus, right. uh, a human being that's got you know two points of uh, of contact that uh could be jumping on any number of, of angles um, right. at different velocities and levering or not levering. I mean, there's just there's so many factors. You just can't really build a scientific model of it and represent it, you know, uh, truly as it is. Yeah, yeah, no. So I, that's where, so that's where you know the. Um, um, that's where experience does come into play. Everybody wants to say, you know, it's got to be pure science, pure physics, but uh, um, the, uh, you know, sometimes the uh, the information uh, that you gain in the field, uh, <laughs> you know, proves proves to be more valuable than what you can uh, make work on paper. Well, right, and I mean, even in science, you know, I mean, I've listened to so many podcasts with scientists. I'm not saying I'm a scientist at all, but you know, they'll talk about how you know they have certain theories or hypotheses and. All of a sudden, they have an anomaly, and they can't explain it. You know, the, the, these things happen. And I listen. I would go on uh, go out on a limb and say that we probably don't have the world's top scientists worrying about pole vault. Like that's not the top priority. You know, so you know, it, it's just one of those things. And I think going back to kind of what you said about Kyle Ellis, like I, I can't agree more. You have to be watching the pole speed. You have to be watching the swing speed. Like to me, it's like I literally am watching the pole and and the person's hips, and I want to see those two two points moving constantly. 
constantly through the whole jump. But I, I think what muddies the water for a lot of people is they're looking at how much the pole bends, you know, their drive knee, their left leg, you know, whatever yeah. little Again, things. They're, they're focusing on, on snapshots, on still shots, right. and positions instead of movement in the broader context. And uh, that's why I like to do a lot of complete vaults, and we don't do just a lot of, right. um, you know, drills and stages and i and i've done all this you know one thing uh, yeah come up to touch on above the sparks point it's like hey i've made every mistake there is in the book you know so now i know what to avoid what not to what works and what doesn't and right so, you know i've been i've been the guy doing the pop-ups and the one-handers and just strictly uh, a long a long approach and and uh and all the other all the other uh the urban legends or whatever else yeah down the line I've, I've been through all of it so i've really really uh try to handpick what works you know in my experience what i've applied and i've gotten results with point yeah. blank you know and i've i've always kept an open mind hey i'm willing to try this i'll, I'll try anything you know at least once or, or give it you know a fair yeah. amount of time before i decide whether it's good or bad and, and trash it but uh but yeah these you know some of these concepts uh, are, are very foreign to people because it's uh you haven't heard it from if they haven't heard it from a coach they know or on a video or something like that then uh, that can't be right you know but uh well, yeah, there's, there's, you got to be able to, you know, to really sift the good stuff from the bad stuff. Yeah, and and sometimes too, it's like, you know. And look, it's, I don't know if it's human nature or whatever, but it's like whatever the flavor of the month is, you know, it's like whoever's the top vaulter currently, it's like everybody wants to look at that and be like, well, that's the trick. They do this in their jump, you know, whether it's a nice swing like Bupka used to have or, oh, a little bit of a tuck like Renault, you know, it's like everybody's like looking at that and what they're seeing, they're not seeing is that, you know, well, you got to look at more of the similarities between some of the people that have jumped high instead of the differences. You, you know what I mean? Um, you know, so I, I mean, look, at this point, I would hope this is universal. If you don't think a high pole carry is necessary, I mean, come on. You, you got to have a high pole carry. But yet, I'm sure you go to meets where you're like, there's literally oh, people yeah. coaching athletes and they just keep the, the tip low the whole run yeah. and they're supporting the weight, you know what I mean, of the pole yeah, the whole run. The first year I moved, one of the first years I coached in Texas, I used to see a kid that was good in this area years ago. I mean, he was probably a 14 6 guy or something like that. Yeah. He literally ran with a pole tip a foot off the ground. Like oh. he was carrying it below vertical right. on like an eight left approach. I'm like, how do you even? do that you know it's right. so horribly inefficient but you know it's working for him so we ain't changing that you know so talking to his high school coach so, right okay you know good luck with that yeah Guess well when graduated and, high school never vaulted again well so yeah and that that's what i was going to go off of next is like sometimes you see people with these horrible bad habits and the thing is because they're never no one's willing to change them or you know and then the athlete becomes at a point they don't want to change a bad habit like that but they get stuck. It's a it's a big technical gap that they will not be able to overcome. Like even if they get stronger and faster, there's going to be limitations. You know. And and, and one issue when when you're changing major technical issues is that you know you have to let people know that hey, you're probably going to get worse before you get better because anytime you change anything it's going to be foreign it's like think of something as simple as brushing your teeth i mean how many people consciously focus on how right. they brush their teeth you don't it's automatic you've done it a million times but but let's say okay you know you broke your, your right arm you got to brush your teeth left-handed you have to kind of <laughs> think about it and process how to right. do it it'd be a while before it became automatic so anytime yeah. you make a change like pole carry for example uh something that's very tactile that you can then feel or, or just how people grip the pole uh uh, or do you keep your top hand tight? Do you keep your bottom hand tight? Right. Do you keep your bottom hand open? Is your wrist tucked? Simple things like 
that that are that are very tactile, that are very uh, much in your conscious mind, are that make people uncomfortable. Right. And and you know, hey, you're going to get worse because it's gonna you're going to be fumbling around until. Well, you well get I always I always tell people the thing, the reason you're going to get worse, especially if like let's say that fourteen six kid that you, you're talking about, if he was going to change his carry, the reason he's going to get worse, he's going to have to think, and thinking slows you down. So you're going to have to be able to or be willing to go through that time period where you're slowing down so you can correct this mistake till you can go fast again. You know, it's kind of like a driver, you know, driving on a racetrack for the first time. You can't go, you know, pedal to the metal, you know, the first few laps. You've got to learn the, the, the course before you can really hit, you know, an apex of a turn, you know. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Now, I, I fully agree. And one of the biggest issues that I, I used to, it's funny that we even talk about this, um, but where we'd have these, I guess you could call them setbacks or regressions kind of in, yeah. uh, in height, was when we started kind of working on the carry itself, like a high carry right. itself. Okay, so you can work from one, from two, from three, from four, and get away with, you know, a low carry or right. something below 45 degrees. But all of a sudden, you start gripping higher, you're on heavier poles, you're farther back, you, you lose so much uh speed and balance and, and uh, posture right and it's like okay if you're going to move to the you know to another level here we've got to get you able to move the pole and drop you know work on pole drop um, right through the context of a longer approach and kids get uncomfortable picking that pole apart because they feel like i'm not going to get in the box i'm not going to get in the box and then so okay yeah right. they'll start at high and by the time their their first left hits the ground boom it's back down at like you know right. 30 degrees or something i'm like no 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 you've got it's not like i'm saying uh you know this uh, like some people misinterpret the old Bill Falk uh, drop tip technique. You have to right. keep it straight up and then just drop it in one motion, boom, and then you know maybe right. you're lucky if it hits the box, maybe you're not. It's that's not really how the drop's supposed right. to work. Yeah, yeah, it's but, supposed uh, to be progressive. Absolutely, you know, throughout the run. I mean, again, like anything else, you know, you want to look for movement, you know, pole speed, but movement with the hips and whatever else throughout the ball. You see movement of the pole tip kind of throughout the run. Um, yeah. And, and uh, elimination of static phases. But, yeah, you, you know, that's that's something that's uh, that I've, you know, run into some, um, you know, stumbling points or sticking points with athletes or when, okay, we've got to work on this drop. You've got to be patient about not, you know, dropping it right out back immediately and then uh, – and be comfortable that the pole is going to make it into the box and eventually when they figure it out it's like oh this is so much easier but you know there, there's a few frustrating practices while they adapted to that yeah um you know i it it's so funny i mean just thinking of this whole podcast i mean i i just to wrap it up i, I you know because we've been going for a while this is already over an hour um but it's been so awesome to hear from your journey how you know, it's like every step of the way you've been trying to make improvements, figure out something new. And I, I feel like that's an important point for everyone who's involved in the vault, whether you're an athlete, uh, beginner, expert, you're a coach, you kind of constantly have to, you know, keep your eyes open, you know, listen to what's out there and kind of sift through things. Cause I'm sure, you know, I mean, we kind of stuck on things that you learned that really helped, but I'm sure there were things that you saw that you were like, okay, not doing that. You know, um, but it's, it's, (laughs) but, but it's so important. It's like you, you've gotta, you gotta be ready to take in some information and kind of have an open mind to things and see what could help you, you know, because I mean, I, I, I'm sure, you know, just like what you're describing, you know, a lot of people who are successful out there. That's the same approach that they've had is they, they've been willing to search for something that is going to help get them to the next level, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
No, I, I think that's 100% what it is. So, you know, I've been I've been doing this now uh, as a career full-time for, uh, for going on uh, 16 years, something yeah. like that, um, after I you know, kind of uh, ended my teaching career because uh, I, I felt I saw an opportunity to be able to do this, and mm-hmm. I never thought it would turn into a career, which is right. something that was fun. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, there's been a lot of changes. My program has never been the same from year to year. One thing as a teacher that, that – uh, sticks in my mind was when I I first got hired at a high school and I was the only male in the English department. And yeah. It was uh, you know a bunch of older ladies have been doing it a long time. Well, this is what we teach. This is the the essay the essay we write. This is the, uh, the right. books we read. When I suggested some you know some newer ideas, well, we've never done it that way before. I'm like, well, so yeah. <laughs> so what's wrong with <laughs> yeah? You know, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, like times like, change, we evolve. So yeah. I prided myself on trying to uh constantly uh um uh, evolve you know my system and there's always a, a better way you can't reinvent the wheel but you can improve the wheel you can improve how the thing rolls um and uh so yeah from year to year i've never done anything 100 percent the same way as the year before or the year before that there's always you know you grow with your system and with the uh the athletes in the context of that system and i think that's important for you know guys starting up clubs is that you know keep an open mind you know listen to the guys yeah. that have, have walked in your shoes before you and try their ideas and you know maybe they don't fit you know but you now you can cross it off the list of okay you know all right what's next what else can i do and then yeah. you know you craft this uh, system um that fits you know, your philosophy and your context and uh and have success with it yeah well and and i guess one one last point it's it's so so funny the way you said it you know you're like oh like you know 16 years you've been doing this you, d- you didn't even know it was going to become a career but I, I don't know how you feel but i'm just super pumped i mean you know obviously there's there's good days there's bad days you know good seasons and bad seasons but i mean i sometimes almost have to pinch myself i'm like wow like i just coach pole vaulting like that's crazy <laughs> you know i know i know i've had that discussion with a few guys like like rusty Sheely in uh, south carolina it's like man yeah. you know we get to actually coach pole vaulting for a living i mean how how spoiled are we you know right and, and uh you know you could argue i could make uh i can make a lot more money in probably a lot of other fields sure. but uh just the the you know the uh, fulfillment i get from uh, from seeing kids grow as human beings and and not the ones that just get the scholarships uh, right. and all the, the accolades down the road but just the ones that found something that they had a passion for and they put hard work and they saw results and they mm-hmm. apply that to other facets of their life man that's why we're here you know yeah. that's the way i see it so. yeah no i absolutely um chris if somebody wants to follow you do you have any uh, instagram or facebook or website that you want them to check out or anything or yeah yeah i'm on i'm on all of the above uh just chris allison on facebook uh I think it's Allison Chris on Instagram. I don't tweet on Twitter or anything like okay. that, but we've got a website, LoneStarPD.com. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, and I'll in my contact info. So if anybody ever has any questions on on training advice or uh, or pole selection, I'm actually a dealer for all four U.S. Uh, pole companies and I have a lot of experience with uh, flex numbers and fitting and, and such and comparing between brands. Uh, I mean, you know, that's just one aspect of what I do, mm-hmm. but. Uh, yeah. Uh, but any, you know, if anybody wants to contact me with, with any questions, I encourage you to. Awesome. Well, Chris, this was a great podcast, and I'm sure we'll do it again uh, sometime soon. Um, great. Uh, until next time, everybody.